0: Some of you may have heard of or maybe you've heard of uh, James Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce, who is the uh, minister at the uh, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Uh, At the outset of this uh, chapter in his commentary on the book of Matthew, uh, he writes this, If anyone ever finds himself thinking That in matters of religion, all views are relative and any sincere faith and practice will do. That person needs to read Jesus' denunciation of the Pharisees' religion as presented here in Matthew 23. Even the Roman Catholic Church is trying to become more accommodating and pleasing in the world today by speaking about many channels that people may take in order to get to God. Jesus himself makes it very clear that there is but one. True way. So Matthew indeed renounces the wrongdoings of the religious leaders and insists on the greater righteousness of the Christian way of life. Jesus had to show Christians are not to turn their back on the law. They are to appreciate the law and keep the law in a new spirit. Jesus has been speaking primarily to three groups of people. He speaks to the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, he speaks to the crowds and he speaks uh, to the disciples last lord's day you saw how jesus silenced finally the scribes and the pharisees as he asked questions that for them to answer they needed more capital capital and so now he's directing his attention in this chapter uh, to the scribes or to the crowds And to the stipe disciples. Now you need to understand that there's a sense in which we might all see ourselves as being part of the crowds who came to listen to Jesus. And there may indeed be some of you here this morning who are exactly that part of a crowd. Part of those who are interested in the things of Jesus, but you're not a disciple. The disciples are those of us who, by the grace of God, are learners, followers of Jesus. Because by His grace, we've repented of our sin and taken up the cross and followed. We've denied ourselves, we're disciples. So in this chapter, he's speaking to the crowds and he's speaking to you and to me. And in chapter 24, he will speak primarily to you and to me, to the disciples. But let's hear what he says to we who are his disciples. And if you're part of the crowd, you're invited as well to pay attention to what Jesus has to say. And he's going to warn us And he's going to call us to humility. John, or Matthew, chapter 23, the first 12 verses. Let's hear again what the Holy Spirit has to say. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens and hard uh, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers but all their works they do to be seen by men they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments they love the best places at feasts the best seats in the synagogues greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one of for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, He who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, as your disciples, disciples of your Son, the Lord Jesus, having been baptized, we're being taught all that he has taught. We want, Lord, to be warned. and We want, Lord, to be humble. And we do so because this is your call to us in Christ Jesus. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm thankful to John MacArthur for pointing out some things in this passage that uh, make it, I hope, easy for us to appreciate the warning, and then as we come to grips with the call to humility. In the first seven verses, Jesus warns us, warns us about the scribes and the Pharisees. And he gives us five characteristics of the scribes and the Pharisees in these verses that are meant to warn us against scribes and Pharisees, leaders, people in positions of so-called authority whom we might want to listen to and be led uh, to follow. There are five red flags, if you please, with respect to the scribes and the Pharisees. And the first red flag is not an easy one for us to see in this particular translation of the text. And I'll admit that I had not seen it until it was John MacArthur's commentary in which he's using the New American Standard Translation of the Bible as he reads this text. Listen to what it says in the New American Standard. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, they have usurped authority. They have usurped authority. Now, there's a sense in which when a scribe or a Pharisee would go before the people in the synagogue and take out a scroll, particularly the Torah, they would be doing what? They would be reading the law of Moses. And there's therefore a sense in which one might, in their mind, understand that when someone is seated at the front of the synagogue reading from the Torah, what are they doing? They're sitting in the seat of Moses, the cathedrus. And we understand a bit about this word cathedrus. If you're familiar at all with the Roman Catholic Church and The Pope, what does the Pope do from time to time? He speaks ex cathedra. He speaks out of the seat. And when he speaks out of the seat, he's supposedly speaking under the inspiration of God, and therefore what he says is what we, who are Christians, are to implicitly believe and therefore, do. In other words, when the Roman Catholic Church speaks to Christians, they say, You must have an implicit faith. You must believe what the church teaches. Don't read the Bible. And I actually have a Douay translation of the Bible in which, in the preface, it says, Don't read this. It's sad. It's very sad. But here you see the scribes and the Pharisees have usurped an authority that God had not given them. But then he goes on to say, whatever they tell you to observe Observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. He warns us against their lack of integrity, their lack of integrity. When indeed they read the Torah, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and so forth and so on. Here's the sacrifice to bring for this. Here's the sacrifice to bring for that. Here are the days that are to be observed. Here are the feasts. When they read the law of Moses, observe what they say, but don't do what they do. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees misled the disciples when it comes to the matter of murder, when it comes to the matter of fornication, when it comes to the matter of divorce, when it comes to the matter of adultery, when it comes to the matter of swearing, when it comes to the matter of worship, when it comes to the matter of praying, when it comes to nearly everything that's involving the Christian life, don't do what they do with respect to these things. Sadly, I'm reminded of years ago, sitting in a presbytery meeting and a student preaching a sermon in anticipation of being Licensed, eligible to preach. And in that sermon, he was making a very good point. How many Christians are there who can't even recite the Ten Commandments? They don't know them. And if we're to be able to live according to the character of God, those ten words need to be written indelibly in our hearts out of which then we live that life that emulates who God is. And we're all going, yeah, yeah. And so when it came time to ask questions, being whatever you want to call me, I raised my hand and I said, would you please recite the Ten Commandments for us? He couldn't even... Come up with all ten, let alone being in order. Do as I say, (laughs) not as I do. And Matthew Henry is the one who pointed out that, you know, there are ministers who stand in the pulpit and their sermons are very, enlightening, very encouraging, very challenging. And they get out of the pulpit and their life isn't lived at all according to what they've preached. When a man preaches, that's what a man needs to be living. Usurped authority. Lack integrity. Verse 4. For the Pharisees bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. The audience was customary it was customary for them to see beasts of burden, donkeys piled high with wares, fare, things that men can't carry. What are these Judaizers? What are these scribes and Pharisees? What do they do? They take the law of Moses and then they come up with 600 or 700 or 800 ways that that law needs to be carried out in order for one to be righteous. Judiator said, you need to be circumcised. If you're really going to be righteous, you need to be circumcised. And Paul, you remember, had to stand in front of Peter and say, stop it. Stop it. You see, they indeed lacked sympathy. They lacked sympathy. Place the burdens, but don't even take a finger to help you with that burden. But then there's Jesus. What does Jesus say? Salvation is by grace alone uh, through faith alone. And what does he say? Cast your burdens on me, for I am gentle. And lowly of heart. The heart of Jesus. Takes that finger. And lifts the burden. So that his commandments are not burdensome to those who are in vital fellowship with him. That's what John tells us in his first letter. Because Jesus is the one who enables us by his great love for us to want to do what? To love him in response. And how do we love him in response? We love him in response because we keep the law of liberty. Isn't that what we read in James? You see, the law liberates It doesn't enslave. But when on the law, we have things like touch not, taste not, handle not requirements in order to be righteous, then where does righteousness fall? It falls squarely on my shoulders. And what does God say? Be holy as I am holy. And I look at a holy God with that burden of being holy. And the law kills. The law crushes. They lack... sympathy he goes on and he shows how they lack spirituality they lack spirituality but all their works they do to be seen by men they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments They defined piety by externals. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we're to have the law on our hands, frontlets to our eyes. And indeed, the Jews did have little items, implements that had verses of the Bible in them on their wrists and on their foreheads. And so what did these scribes and Pharisees do? Well, they enlarged them. They made them very ostentatious. What did they do with their garments? They made them very noticeable. Look at how pious I am. We never do that, do we? I don't do that. I can't understand why you would do that. You bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, Deuteronomy 6.8. Rightly understood, what is this telling us? It's not the wearing of Christianese things. That sets before the world, I'm a Christian. It's having that law of God deeply rooted in our hearts so that our eyes, our eyes and what they do with what they behold conform to God. We see things as God sees things and we turn away from things that God does not favor to look upon. And what about our hands? Why do we do what we do? Why do we let our hands do what our hands do? Do we do them because the flesh says, this is really fun? Or do we do them because we're servants of the Lord? So that whatsoever we do, we do where? As unto God, for it is from him that we receive our reward. Do we parade our Christianity so that we're seen by men? Or do we practice our Christianity to be seen by God? But all their works they do to be seen by men. How many times in the Gospels do we read statements like Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 and verse 1? Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then I'm reminded of those words of Jesus. Depart from me. I never knew you. And who did he know? He knew those who said to Jesus, but when did we see you? When did we see you? When did we see you? And what does Jesus say? As you did it unto the least of these my brothers, you did it unto me. And I think an implication of that is That we as Christians simply do. My wife reminds me of the time that I picked up a hitchhiker. I'm not advocating that now. (laughs) And I phoned her up and said, I'm bringing someone for lunch. Now, why did I do that? I mean, she surprised me when she reminded me that I did that. Why did I do that? There was nothing in my brain that said, you know, if you pick this guy up, you're going to get rewards by being really Christian. No, For some reason, the Lord just worked in a way that I say, I'll pick the guy up and take him to lunch. He must be hungry. Isn't that how we live our Christian lives? We're sensitive to the Spirit, and the Spirit simply moves us to do those things that God has written in our hearts. So you see, they lacked spirituality because they wanted to be seen of men, And then they lacked Humility. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called Rabbi, Rabbi. Your ministers today are easily tempted. Easily tempted. Lord willing, my wife and I will be leaving on the 26th of April to go to Australia because I'll be a fraternal delegate to the Presbyterian Church in Eastern Australia and the Reformed Presbyterian Church in Australia. And one of the things that happens when you let yourself, when you let them know that you're going to be coming, they'll say, well, you better be planning on preaching in our pulpit. And that's really the way I'm just like, oh. But how many men go, well, (laughs) of course. You ought to expect me to preach in your pulpit. That's what I'm here for, you know. Because you see, I, and then you just make the accolades. Make the accolades. They lacked indeed humility. Rabbi! Rabbi! You fill out an application. What's the first thing that you have? Title. (laughs) What do you like to put? See, I'm allowed to say Reverend. Does that mean the others are not Reverend? Doctor! Dr. Spears to say, yes, you die by degrees. The Reverend Doctor. And indeed, honor is due to those who have accumulated by God's grace those sorts of titles. But are they humbling? Do they identify who I am? Do they give me the esteem I need to live life? Scholars tell us of a passage in the Talmud Sanhedrin page 88 or verse 88b is considered more punishable to act against the words of the scribes than against the words of scripture. So quickly the last thing The call to humility, be humble, verses 8 through 12. And, And this is what the Lord calls each and every one of us. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Jesus was called rabbi. Others were called rabbi. What's he saying? The apostle Paul was able to say, Follow me as I follow Christ. Who is our teacher? I've cited three commentators. Why would I cite them? Because it seems to me that they. We're setting forth Christ accurately as they were commenting on the text. So don't listen and remember what I said when I quoted James Boyce. Don't remember what I said when I quoted the other commentators, but remember how what they said reminds you of Jesus. Christ. So that at the end of the day, we're all like the Bereans who what? When we hear the word, what do we do? We make sure it's true to the word. We want people to know it's not what the minister said in the pulpit that I'm telling you. It's not what I read in a commentator commentary that I'm telling you. It's what the Bible says. That's what I'm telling you. And then he says... Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who's in heaven. Elisha could call Elijah father, wasn't rebuked. How many times does Paul speak to sons in his writings? When my children call me father or more endearingly dad are they sinning? No. But I would be sinning if I only wanted them to see I'm your father, I'm Abba. But my baptismal vows say I am committed to taking my children to the one who's put his seal on them. You belong to your father in heaven. He's your daddy at the end of the day. I'm here in his behalf. And do not be called teachers for we have one teacher, the Christ. You get the point. It's all about Christ. Because he says there at the end of verse 8, and you are all brothers. You're all children of God. You're all in the family of God. You're all equal. There's neither male nor female bond or slave, Jew or Greek. We're one in Christ. No one has anything over another. We're brothers and sisters, one of another. And so what does he say? But he who is... Greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted.